This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. Sometimes finding the right answers depends solely on asking the right questions. And that is often easier said than done. But Carol Carpenter, Chief Marketing Officer of VMware, an American cloud computing and virtualization technology company, understands the key to a good marketing strategy is always centered around knowing what questions to ask. And more than that, she knows how to break down answers into actionable data. The team a few years ago said to me here at VMware, oh, well, let's just suck in all the behavioral data from what they've done in the trial. No, 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 Let us be really clear. What are the things that drive engagement and usage? What kind of data would help us make those decisions? Because otherwise we should leave the customer alone. If they're not having problems and need some education or help, don't bother them. And Carol's strategy has more than paid off. VMware's success is undeniable. They're the first commercially successful company to virtualize the x86 architecture. VMware employs 36,000 people globally. But Carol's ability to discern data and translate it into useful information was not something she thought she'd be doing. While she always loved tech and emerging enterprises, she found she was quite happy being a CEO. I definitely realized like there are things I could teach and help others scale around marketing, whether it's in a large company, a small company, across many different domains. It wasn't an easy road from marketing to CEO to Google, but all of those roles helped shape a perspective that lends itself to asking the important questions that lead to the answers that help customers. Be sure to listen to this episode as she shares some important insights for how you can bridge the gap between departments on this episode of Marketing Trends. Brightspot Content Management System enables marketers to launch in just 100 days. It efficiently manages marketing campaigns on mobile apps or updates investors on your corporate site, handling it all seamlessly. With over 100 plus different content types and templates, marketers can deliver a customized, relevant experience to your audience. Additionally, integrate your current marketing automations platform and SEO recommendations directly from your Brightspot content management system, simplifying tool management. Discover more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends. I know you left Google, one of the you know, biggest companies in the world, to work for VMware. What exactly was it that made you decide to kind of from the outside looking in, join the VMware squad? Yeah, you know, it's... Um... 
my mother and father always said like, why can't you do things the easy way? And I'm always, I've always been attracted to the, the underdog, the company. I have never joined a company that is a high, at its peak, high flying. Now, Google overall, you could argue is, was, will continue to be, but Google Cloud, you know, when I joined and Diane Green had just gotten there, 2016, was very nascent. In fact, we didn't even call it Google Cloud then. It was still, I think, Google, Google for work. So, I mean, very, you know, third place, not even third place. I think maybe we were sixth or seventh. We were not even on the map with respect to being a true, you know, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service company uh, or business, I should say. So, you know, what attracted me here is I, I saw this opportunity, Pat Gelsinger and Sanjay Poonin, I've known them for several years and they said, look, we're going to go through a big transformation. You know, if you like to build, create, transform, we have a challenge for you. And it was a combination of that. Obviously the people, I mean, let's face it, we, we all want to work with great people. And, you know, Pat, I will say it in my, you know, almost 30 years of working in tech, it is a true CEO level five leader. Sanjay Poonin is another level five leader, just really inspirational leaders. So that was exciting to me. And then the second piece is at Google Cloud, you know, we had this great opportunity and we were, we were winning accounts and winning a lot of enterprise accounts, primarily media, entertainment, some of the other verticals like financial services, healthcare, but it became really clear as we got into implementation that to help customers really get to where they need to be, it isn't this all or nothing proposition, which every cloud company would say, yeah, go to the cloud and you're going to have agility and speed to market and competitive advantage and yada, yada, yada. And it's never that way. I mean, the, these companies have lots, you know, our customers have so much cruft and, you know, they have a, a heterogeneous environment with on-prem enterprise software that they don't want to rewrite. They don't want to replatform. It just doesn't make sense to do that. And what appealed to me, and this is the gestalt and the core of VMware, this is a company that is at the intersection of a lot of different um, computing capabilities. And our core value is we have been the bridge. We are the Switzerland. We partner with all seven plus you know, hyperscalers. We help, our, we meet our customers where they are, frankly. And it's such an overused term, but that ability to say, okay, Mrs. Customer, you have some workloads that should stay on-prem and you have some that need to go to the cloud. How do you do that? And it is so hard. Oh, by the way, how do you network it all together? How do you set up a common security plane across all of my workloads and applications? It's really hard. There's a reason why companies have over 75 plus security tools and our promise, our brand promise, our promise to customers is we will help you. We are the Switzerland and we will help you bridge across all of your existing and future computing needs. Wow. So thinking about the the beginning of the dance with just marketing for you, because, uh, you know, look at your background, you know, Stanford BA in economics, you spend time at Apple, GM at Trend Micro, CMO at Clear Slide, CEO at Elastic Box, which I want to talk about too, VP or product marketing at Google, now CMO VMware. Somewhere along that experience, there was this dance with marketing that started. Was that back in school? Was that kind of in the product days at Apple? Where did that 
this really interesting, you know, love and appreciation for marketing start? Where was that spark for you initially? You know, um, I, I, I obviously, <laughs> I, I did not have a planned career. And I, I noticed that, you know, many of the other people, CMOs you've talked to as well, you know, we're problem solvers. I think the majority of us, and we see problems and we see opportunities and we try to, you know, lean in. It definitely started at Apple. I, I can tell you. So when I, I was attracted to technology coming out of business school for a few reasons. Number one, it felt like, and it seemed like, and I truly, and it, it has turned out to be more of a meritocracy than like, when you look at, you know, at least when I graduated from business school in the nineties, the majority of people were still going to investment banking, consulting, you know, some of the more traditional businesses certainly changed in the past few years where everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. However, that was the case then. And I looked at those types of businesses and I thought, wow, I don't see a lot of women there. Wow. I see a lot of hierarchy and uh, entrenched culture. Tech had this great appeal because number one, there was this, you know, just opportunity to do great things. And for, as a woman being able to say, gosh, you know, I can see myself in lots of those different pockets. And then the third thing is, frankly, it was um, kind of accidental. We, we did a case study on, on Microsoft and Apple. And that was when, you know, let's face it, the mid nineties, Apple was not the Apple it is today. It, I still remember some of the great headlines the media loved to write things like, you know, Apple rotten to the core, Apple, you know, <laughs> peeling away, you know, the app, you know, just all the great, great, uh, pithy, good clickbait meta, uh, metaphors. Anyhow, and I, I remember going through that case and realizing that the difference, yes, you know, Microsoft on the OS side um, certainly dominated at that time because of the licensing because of their distribution, their ecosystem. But there was also this spark and this ability and, and the story and the case was about, you know, how could Apple compete and how could they differentiate? And when you think about, you know, what is marketing? It's a combination of, it's communicating the value and the value, you know, is usually steeped in some kind of differentiated value. And it means it has to be unique. It has to be tangible. It has to be something your customers care about. And the interesting thing is I was in product management at Apple. So I went there, they were hiring very few MBAs, but a few of us. And in fact, the majority of them are all doing amazing things right now in the industry. They're great, great, a great peer set. They were a great peer set then and they're phenomenal now. And it came down to like, how do we segment? How do we think about the market? How do we win? And at that time there was more of a niche, you know, Macs were the niche computer. And uh, it was all about, you know, you could be very successful if you segment really well. So anyway, and Apple forced you, you were a product manager, but you couldn't be a great, you, they, they put product marketing and product management together because the premise is, and I still, I still believe they subscribe to this, is you can't market what you don't understand. Like if you're not in the guts and you don't understand what the OS is doing, what the processor is doing, what you know, what is it well, back then, you know, what is an ethernet port? What is, you couldn't, how could you even begin to try to translate that to a simple customer story? So. Mm. What did you have to, to cultivate to, to shift from, you know, individual contributor to now shifting into leader, right? There's a, 
there's this another dance that happens there. And just because you're really good on the product marketing side doesn't mean you're going to be a great marketing leader, yet you are clearly and have a career to speak to that. What were the early kind of, you know, early challenges and early things you started to cultivate and see and do to become a marketing leader at scale? Yeah, I'd say there are probably two things I would point to. One is what I call the me to we transition, which is at some point you realize, oh my goodness, like I can be great at what I'm doing, but we will not win as a business unless my peers are also winning. And winning, I don't mean necessarily, you know, market winning, but in, you know, within a team, like how are we having impact on the market? How are we driving more leads? How are we gaining more market share? And I think that me to we transition is that moment you wake up and you say, and for me, it also coincided, by the way, with having kids. Because when I had kids, I realized, oh, I, I'm, I'm never, I can't be that person who works 24 hours. And I don't want to be that person who works 24 hours. I need to scale and I need other people who are smarter and more capable of working longer hours to do that scaling. So that, that was part of it. And I think we all go to th through that me to we journey at some point, it just different triggers. And then, you know, the second part is I had a mentor who said to me, you know, all of these things work because you have the right product, the right target customer, the right proposition, the right distribution. You've created some um, intimacy with your prospects. You've, you've shortened the distance between like all the things that are required. And, and even though I'd gone to business school, it took a mentor. I was at Trend Micro who said to me, the whole, you know, he used the word, I think, supply chain of how you gain share. And, and that, that was a big trigger for me to say, oh, wait, wait, I got to zoom out here. Like, mm. it doesn't matter if, you know, my campaign is the best campaign or my messaging is the best messaging. If all these other pieces aren't working, you're, you're not going to reach your customers. You're not going to make them happy. You're not going to delight them. You're not going to succeed. So anyway, it's, it seems really straightforward now. Like I look back and I think, well, of course I should have been thinking about the whole supply chain of how you go to market and how you create value. But I mean, think about how many companies don't, right? Either they are so obsessed with their product and technology and, you know, Highway 101 in, in Silicon Valley is littered with great tech that never really, you know, achieved any market presence because they didn't have all the pieces or the converse, which is, you know, if you have great marketing, but you don't have great product, it's, you, you don't win. <laughs> right. Exactly. In a different podcast interview, you said that you felt that data needed to be in your DNA. What piece of data do you think is most important about potential customers that helps drive a successful campaign, for example? Yeah, you know, it, it's again, um, I, I talk to my team like, yeah, we have to eat data for breakfast, but it all starts <laughs> with data around behaviors, good segmentation and, and good segmentation. You know, everybody tries to do it like, oh, these are the buying groups we're going after. These are the verticals we're going after. That's like, you know, no offense, that's segmentation 101. Good segmentation is understanding behavior, intention and understanding the triggers really, really clearly, you know, I subscribe to this notion and it's pretty clear, you know, why do you buy anything? Why did you buy the microphone you have? Why did you buy the car you have? Why are you buying the software you're using? 
because of three factors, functional, economic, and emotional. Usually in some different mix, like this pen I bought, you know, this was an economic purchase, right? Or functional, I just needed a pen. I didn't really care. The car you buy, the software you buy has a lot more wrapped into it. And understanding your customer segmentation and what they care about across those three axes, it's the key. It is the key to winning markets. It's the key to winning the hearts and minds. And obviously tuning and making sure your product, you know, delivers, it has to deliver against that. But, you know, when people talk about product market fit, that that's what they're talking about. Mm. That's great. I mean, I love how you've distilled it, you know, into those three things that are, there's simplicity there and also profoundness there. And I, and I, I love how you seem to kind of weave that in. And I, I, as we have, you know, huge organizations that, that come on our, our network of shows, and it seems like, uh, many of them adopt the same idea of like simplicities with scales and not adding unnecessary complexity. Now, especially in your business where there's a lot of transformation, there's a lot of innovation, there's a lot of shifting, and you can get almost lost in that in a lot of ways. But getting back to like, okay, what what are the simple things we're going to do that are going to make the, the most impact in the marketplace? And so I, I love that relationship with simplicity that you have. Oh, thanks, Jeremy. And I would just add that, you know, one thing that I really enjoyed about my time at Google is, and I hope you did too, when you were there, is there is such a, an emphasis on 10x thinking, which, you know, it sounds kind of trite, and, but that, even just the exercise, even if you don't get fully funded for what you want to do, or it doesn't fully, you know, come to fruition, the exercise of starting with that just pushes and drives, I think, a, a greater, you know, a, a more aggressive and drives greater results. Cause even if you don't achieve it, you end up at 80% of, you know, at 110. Yeah. Sure. I would agree. Yeah, definitely. I learned, I, I think I, I, the velo- I learned velocity there at Google of like just the speed and then to absolutely like fail fast, think big, like go, don't stop. Like we got you, we'll support you. And I found that in different lines of business as I was there working on different teams, it always existed there velocity, vision, you know, and go. And it was just like, whoa, I'd never been a part of that kind of ingredient pie before. So yeah. And and also very data oriented, right? So absolutely. I think that's just, you know, that combination of, and let's face it, like today there's just the problem we have is there's too much data. There's too much data that we've collected around behavior and tension. So the, the key is like, not just having all the data, but really gaining the insights. I think it's it's really hard. It's really hard. You got to sift through a lot and you have to be very clear about, okay, what problem are we trying to solve? I was going to ask you kind of how you, yeah, how you're doing that. I think that's that's absolutely money. We hear about data being, you know, the oil and it's, it's so important and eat it for breakfast. Like you said, it's such a big part and there's a lot of it. So more like you said, sometimes too much of it. How are you kind of navigating that? How's, how are you unpacking that? Well, okay, here, here, just, I mean, these are really simple tips, but I always ask my team, why are we going to collect this? Like before we even collect it, what, what are we trying to achieve? Like, for example, we have some products that are, have a a, a go-to-market has a product-led growth aspect, right? We want, and and the initial, um, the team a few years ago said to me here at VMware, they said, oh, well, let's just suck in all the behavioral data from what they've done in the trial. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, let us be really clear, you know, what is the aha moment? 
what are the things that drive engagement and usage where we as the company would want to educate, nudge, or, you know, if they're truly ready, upsell, cross-sell. And like be really clear about what are the aha moments? What kind of data would help us make those decisions? Because otherwise we should leave the customer alone. Like if they don't need, if they're not having problems and need some education or help, don't bother them. If they're not ready to expand and you don't see enough engagement to expand. So like, what are the aha moments, those signals as, as some people like to call them and be really clear and, and collect that. Now there are times to be fair, you know, we don't quite know what is the aha moment. And that's when you take a small subset of data, you observe it, watch it, mine it to prove out your theses before you collect at scale. So I think just being really clear, like what decisions are we trying to make? What are your aha moments that are going to lead to the types of interactions and behaviors that we want to trigger? And then ultimately, you know, just test, test the crap out of it, right? Like test on a small set. Mm. You've been a CEO in the past. You've, you've spoken about this on, you know, other interviews I've heard. And I'm, I'm curious for, for our audience of CMOs and marketing leaders and executives, uh, across the Fortune 500 and beyond, not all of them have that experience of like, hey, I've, I've been a CEO, I'm, I'm a marketing leader or going from one or the other. And I love that you have that experience. And it was at Elastic Search, right? Um, elastic Box, yes. Elastic and Box, sorry, Elastic Box, yes. A lot of Elastic. So <laughs> what I know, right? We, um, so what, what, a, what a beautiful experience and perspective to have, have being a CEO. As you know, it's a full contact sport. You know, we, we get the privilege of speaking with many CEOs and and it's, it's a really interesting perspective you have. Um, what kind of made you decide to kind of shift to CMO as being, I know you have the marketing background, but then you had the CEO kind of thing happening too. So what perspective has that given you? What kind of made you want to make that shift from CEO back into global marketing at scale? Yeah, you know, so um, I was CEO. So there are two things. I was a general manager at Trend, Trend Micro, the cybersecurity company. And I was fortunate because at that time, the the BUs, the business units, had full PL, which meant I had engineering reporting to me, I had sales reporting to me, I had marketing reporting to me. And it's it's interesting because when you have a PL and you have to report on a number every week, you know, a commit gut stretch, you very quickly determine what's really going to help you. And so I, I think it helped that experience initially helped me understand, okay, there are some things that marketing does that are longer term, cool, they should be, they should be looking six to 12 to plus months out and building markets, building perception shifts that can take time. At the same time, there's a short-term need, like what's really going to drive, you know, uh, in that case, revenue and subscriptions. So I took that CEO role because a friend of mine, I mean, the whole, my whole career is I have followed people. And a friend of mine was a VC on the board of the company and said, hey, look, I think of you as more than a CMO. I'm like, well, what does that mean? That CMO wasn't enough? But you know, it was a backhanded compliment to say, you've got a business head on you. You understand the supply chain of delivering value to customers. Could you come in and help? And it was a small company. We were 50 people. And I said, you know, why not? And I trusted him 
you know, how often do you get to go into a place where you know people on the board, you believe in the tech, like, and it was in the DevOps space, which I was really, um, I liked it. I think the open source, open source and DevOps space, we could talk about that at length, has so many more advantages than, you know, some of the closed proprietary areas. So anyway, two things. One, I went there, I learned a tremendous amount. I learned it was, it's extremely hard. Like the buck really stops with you. You feel incredibly accountable for every person, their families, what's happening. And, and you should, I mean, that's why, you know, that's why CEOs get, you know, compensated well. And that's why they, they bear that mantle. And it's a big, big responsibility. We ultimately sold Elastic Box to a large uh, company called uh, CenturyLink, now called Lumen, and um, transitioned the team successfully. In fact, some people are doing really well there. And when I thought about, okay, what am I going to do next? What I realized is that being CEO was not, um, there are parts to it I absolutely loved. I loved, you know, making some of the decisions. I loved being able to direct that product market fit. But I realized like so much of what I enjoyed was around building and scaling and helping other people become better marketers. Like that, that for me, I, I didn't, at least in my head, I didn't think I could go teach other people to be better CEOs uh, after, you know, two years. And, um, but I definitely realized like there are things I could teach and help others scale around marketing, whether it's in a large company, a small company, you know, across many different domains. So that's, that's why I came back, you know, and I also, honestly, it was a little bit of um, just, again, meeting the right person at the right time, meeting Diane Green, meeting Allison, meeting the Google Cloud team, and there they were and in a build phase. And it was very attractive to me to go in and be building again. Mm. Now, on that note of building and, and transformation, you know, VMware, so we talked about this a little bit before, just you know, there's been a big shift going from, you know, on-prem to SaaS and, you know, so having now seeing this shift, you know, from licensed products to being a SaaS business, how has that changed, you know, from a marketing perspective, from, you know, including customer experience and just talk us through kind of leading through that, that that's a big change. Like you said, it wasn't like you were starting from zero. You're already moving a very big organization that had been doing things, you know, a certain way for a, a period of time. And now it's big shifts. Talk us through kind of these shifts and how you manage that and led through that, some of the things you've seen. Yeah, yeah. So Jeremy, it's um, I underestimated the mind shift change that would need to happen. And I underestimated the operational aspects. So I think the easier parts have been helping the team wrap their heads around customer first. And what is... Everybody uses that term. Oh, we're, we're, I mean, what company doesn't say they're customer centric or customer first? But being very explicit, like customer first means no more shelfware. You don't just, you know, sell it and forget it. No, it means how do you ensure your customers have enduring and gain enduring value from what we, we give them? And that, that part was actually easier to get people's heads around. And, and, you know, the whole company has really rallied around that aspect of it. We are super customer first in terms of ensuring customers are happy. Ensuring. Now, the part that is difficult, the part you actually need to jettison is 
you cannot focus so heavily on making existing customers happy because existing customers will keep you, you know, where you were and keep you entrenched in that on-premise world. And while there are many companies and we certainly will continue to serve them who have, you know, again, a multi-cloud environment, they have some applications running on-premise and they have some in the cloud, they have some, you know, at the edge, we want to help them solve all those problems. Making sure that you weight the customer input and the customer feedback and priority between your existing customers, because you certainly want to continue to serve them, and making sure you're overweighting the new customers you want to win, the native public cloud customers, the ones who are in the public cloud. How do we make sure we serve them? And so that is um, the tougher part of when I say changing our own employee mindsets, our team mindset around being customer first, being very clear what it means. The really fun part has been we've been transforming our sales and our marketing and our customer success teams to deliver upon that customer first promise. And it's everything from changing compensation, how how salespeople are compensated, to the type of um, solution go-to-market plays that my team is running in conjunction with sales, being very focused on, again, leaning harder into the products and services that are cross-cloud, not simply private cloud, but cross-cloud. And so it's it's been fun. It's been fun. And we've also done a lot of segmentation work. We're working really hard on our, I call it, you know, there's the sell to and there's the buy from. The buy from is also known as product-like growth. I think it's it's a little bit more challenging with complex products to have pure product-led growth. Like, you know, we have an amazing product called Cloud Health that helps companies assess, you know, their workloads, the financials and economics, and how do they manage their AWS or Azure bills and how do they optimize? Obviously, like you can trial it, but it requires a little bit of handholding, right? Because it requires some of your data. It's a fully SaaS product. So there's just this balance, and I, I don't think we talk enough about them. I think there are some. I mean, I hate the acronym world, but if I were going to give it an acronym, it's like PLA, you know, it's product-led accounts, you know, it's not quite product-led growth and it's not quite account-based marketing. It's at the intersection. Mm. I was going to ask you about just kind of your thoughts around account-based marketing this year and with lots of with shifts in the business and of course shifts in just the customer experience now in the world that we live in. And what are maybe some of the things you're thinking about when it comes to ABM into this year? Right. Well, we, we miss seeing our customers and we, we had a small window. So VMworld, which is our yeah, large industry yeah. event for our customers, it was phenomenal. We primarily ran it virtually. We ran a small customer section on site at our Palo Alto campus. So it was primarily outdoors. And it was the small window when California, you know, we were at a a, a, a low point in terms of COVID infections and people were traveling. I think I, there was a lot of optimism and um, we had, and we thought, oh yeah, maybe, you know, 30 customers will come. Well, no, you know, many, many came, many were so excited to be together and to interact and to network with each other. And that is our model um, wherever possible is we are trying to, you know, drive the virtual interaction and engagement and offer 
at a local level, smaller group interactions that are primarily outdoors. And again, you know, everyone's vaccinated. They opt in. They they have to feel comfortable and um, and trying to find that balance. And that's where we're headed this year, which is offering a hybrid engagement. It's just so, so hard. It's so hard because a lot of our customers, everyone will say, and I mean, I certainly feel this way. The reason you go to any event is to learn from your peers. And then number two is to learn from, from the, the vendor partner. Sure. Right? So, you know, it's very tough to do. And interestingly enough, one side effect of having that small intimate event was our team it gave our employees, the ones who participated, this huge boost because they hadn't seen each other. I hadn't met some of them. It was just such a great opportunity to connect, build trust, have some shared experiences. Mm, that's great. Yeah. And as we continue on with seeing some of these hybrid virtual you know, event experiences, and there'll be a lot of creativity, we're seeing some things happen. But we are hearing kind of what you said in a lot of ways where these kind of private invite only, you know, exclusive, you know, small safe experiences are being are popping up and, and they're working really well from an ABM perspective and, and also thought leadership. So it'll be it'll be cool to see kind of how we all, you know, end up transitioning into this year. One way you've mentioned you try to lead your team is through symbolism. Can you kind of explain a bit what that means to you and, and how has it, you know, made such an impact on your team? So quick story, a friend of mine invited me to this YPO event. This was when I took over at Elastic Box and you know, it was a transformation and um, gosh, I'm going to date myself, but um, so Meg Whitman was at HP and she was two years into her turnaround. Very few people remember this anyway. So I went to this breakfast and you know how it is flaky Californians. I think hundred people signed up, like 15 showed up and I was one of them. My, my friend who invited me actually flaked out. So, you know, we're sitting around and somebody, and it was like this very vulnerable, brutally open conversation where someone said, Hey, you spent almost a hundred million dollars running for governor. What did you learn? And so she starts to tell the story. She said, you know, you know what I learned is I learned that so many things, symbolism matters so much more than all the details of having a balanced budget, sadly, sadly, especially in politics. Anyhow, and so then she shared some stories of what she had done, you know, because of course we said, well, what have you done? You know, so it really inspired me to, and this is part of the, you know, functional, economic, emotional, people don't remember like what I said, they're going to remember more like something funny you said, or, you know, something anomalous that came out of this podcast, less the content. Anyhow, so it really got me thinking and, and she, she did, I don't know if she does anymore. She admitted that she would take time to go and think about like, like a half day or a full day, I can't remember exactly, a quarter to think about, okay, what are my top priorities? And then how do I instantiate that in a symbolic, meaningful way? And that really stuck with me. So I did, I did a few of those things as CEO, and then I've just carried that on. And, and it matters even more in the marketing area where everyone has the internet. Everyone is smart enough to listen to your podcasts, to listen to what other people, their competitors are doing. So like, yeah, everyone's doing hybrid events. Everyone's figuring out how to engage. Everyone's figuring out like how to drive, you know, ABM at scale. Like th these are all. So if you're halfway curious, you're going to figure out how to do some of these things with best practices. 
But the key difference is, are you going to make an impression? And, and that, that really matters when you're either trying to build a category, you're trying to differentiate uh, cybersecurity. My goodness, you know, think about how many there are, right? How do you truly differentiate? In our case, you know, we, we are working with all these networking companies, all these hyperscalers, all these. And so our biggest challenge, one of our biggest challenges is how do we ensure that we have our fair strategic seat at the table? And how do we instantiate that? And so there are a few things we're doing. I can't give it away quite yet. So we're, I'll leave it at this. We are reimagining VMworld and it is going to be crazy different and it is going to be symbolic and it will represent our new, our chapter three, so to speak. That's what our CEO calls it, that we're now in chapter three, you know. Wow. Chapter one was was virtualization. Chapter two was software-defined data center. And chapter three is this multi-cloud world. And so I'll leave it at that because I, I don't want to give away the goods because it's not fully ready to be unveiled, but we're doing some really interesting things there. Um, the other thing we're doing, and this, this is, um, it's symbolic and it's also a little bit of a playbook, which is we're having our customers and influencers tell our story mm. more than us because- they have higher credibility, right? And so our entire ad campaign, it's all customer-led. Moderna, Zoom, um, Toast, Adobe. And frankly, if you look at our ad campaigns or the customers we historically would point to, it was the very large enterprises. And, and they are absolutely amazing customers that we love. You know, the... JP Morgan's, the cities, the, you know, like the very enterprisey enterprises. Um, telling our story in a different way requires people, you know, to say, wait a minute, wait, with Moderna, how, how interesting, what are they doing? So that, that has been, it's been a, I won't say it's a, a radical change, but the results have been really good in terms of moving our perception, bringing new types of customers to us who historically would have said, well, well, no, I, I, I don't need them. Mm, that's great. I love that shift. And you could have, you know, done the opposite, which is we're going to tell our story in a new way and we're going to tell everyone what we're doing. You're like, no, actually, let's shift and have our customers and our influencers tell the story. And I mean, how impactful that is. I can imagine, you know, the insight and that you're seeing and, and the results there. That's incredible. That's incredibly smart. Yeah, I mean, we've we've increased our our uh, brand awareness by twenty nine points in North America. Wow. Um, the other thing, and this is more internal, you know, you talk about leading. Some of the symbolic things are, and again, some are small, some are big. Um, one, we start every town hall, all hands, with a customer story, and it, it's not just like, oh, this was the problem. This is, it's why, 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 why. What are they trying to do? What was the business impact? Why did they choose us? What did we do that was unique and delivered value? And so I think, you know, sometimes just, you know, getting a click below the, the superficial, hey, this is a beautiful story, blah, blah, blah. Getting to the nitty gritty. What did we learn? Like we're starting with that customer focus. The other thing is um, I have my team. This was, I made this an OKR for my team at Google. It's an OKR here for my team, which is that they have to have, depending upon the role, they have to be in customer meetings 
some, they have to go to, and the number varies, but it's X number of customer meetings, uh, either a week, a month, or a month. Mm, that's amazing. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's super, yeah, it's, it's very smart moves from a leadership perspective and thinking about how you're moving this big organization into this new transformative world that we're in and supporting your customers in really cool, unique, authentic ways, allowing them to take the mic and share their story. And the impact is going to be realized in so many ways. So this is the lightning round. For those of you who are curious, this Marketing Trends podcast is brought to you by our friends at Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. If you want to learn more, check out salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Today, we've got Carol Carpenter, CMO of VMware in the house, lightning round. Are you ready for the questions, Carol? Yes, bring it on. Okay, here we go. First question, texting or talking? Oh, texting. Okay. Asynchronous communication is the best. All day. Yeah. What do you love and appreciate about yourself? Um, my prior chief of staff described me as hustle and humor. Mm. I'm actually pretty goofy. I wouldn't say I'm really funny. I'm just goofy. So people laugh. You know? What's your favorite day of the week? Oh, Saturday. I get to sleep in. Okay. Favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? Fairmont, West Virginia, where I grew up. This is a shout out to all my fellow West Virginians. Nice. What was the last film you saw? Ooh, does Netflix count? <laughs> <laughs> it's got to count these days, right? <laughs> well, okay. The last film in a theater? In theater, yeah. It was Shang-Chi, which I saw with my family. And, and to my shock and amazement, one of my kids who, you know, I, I forced into Chinese school, but never, never stuck actually recognized some of the words. So I was like, yes, for the win. All right. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Oh, speak to animals. Think about all the new learnings. Like, yeah, everyone, yeah, the new learnings. Yes, what, did, what, what does my dog really think? I love it. Okay, last question, um, fill in the blank. Something wise my elders taught me was? Family first. That was my dad. That's what he always said before he passed. Family first. Mm, love that one. That one will never get old for me either. Um, thank you so much, Carol. This has been an incredible conversation. Very insightful, super inspiring. And I'm just grateful you took the time to be here today. Hopefully we'll stay connected and best of luck for the rest of 2022. Thank you, Jeremy. So great to be here. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives. 
inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.